My name is Sive Morris, and this is This Week in Car Audio. Tune in, tune in, tune in, This Week in Car Audio. Audio. Tune in, tune in, tune in. We'll be talking about bass, talking about chips, talking about rings. You ain't got them, zip your lip. You got a problem you haven't found, check your grounds. This show about to start. Start. Tune in, tune in, tune in, tune in. And welcome to This Week in Car Audio. Uh, My guest this week is Don Hibig, also known as DB Don. And down in the bottom, who isn't hanging out with us right now, he turned his uh, video off, is Ray. Um, How's it going, guys? Good. Can you see me now? I can see you now. (laughs) There. I'm new to this stuff. New to this stuff. All right. So this week in uh, this week we're going to discuss um, the evolution of car audio competition and how it's kind of changed the evolution of car audio too. And I couldn't think of uh, two better people. Maybe Wayne would have been nice to add, or Nathan Munson couldn't get a hold of Nathan. Um, uh, but you guys are very technical in this. Uh, Ray, you've been judging, I think, longer than I have even. Um, no, I think the same time, both of us. So I started in 2001. Yeah, so. same time. Oh, okay. And, and But uh, you've traveled internationally. Uh, you, so people that don't know Ray, Ray has traveled uh, China. <laughs> and what other countries have you been to judge car audio? Canada, for sure. <laughs> A? Japan, Australia. Greece, Italy, uh, and a whole bunch of European places. I don't even remember them all. Holland, uh, Brazil, obviously, a couple of times. You know, just all over. You don't remember Amsterdam very well, though. Oh, I, I was definitely in Amsterdam. But I just don't remember it. <laughs> and uh, the other one we got up there on my right is Don Hebig, also known as DB Don. He used to do Inhuman. Uh, the, his sub was Inhuman, but it was beyond audio. Um, he's helped develop some of the formats we use today, including Cyclone. Uh, also, uh, he was a competitor or had a strong hand in helping com- uh, build many competitor vehicles. Hey, Don't Don, forget the clamp glasses. The what? The clamps. The clamps. So he was also a big deal. When we get to the clamp section, we'll actually start discussing about that. Um, so I got on the phone this afternoon with, uh, Wayne Harris and we kind of went over a quick timeline of, of some of the previous, uh, meters and such. Um, were you guys, either of you guys competing in the eighties? No, I was still like a baby in the (laughs) eighties. I, uh, I started com- actually. I started competing in uh, about eighty nine, ninety, and uh, when we went to shows, uh, they had the acoustic mic. If you guys remember that one, that was yep. the size of a head, and uh, the, the, it actually registered up to one thirty six, and that was it. Yes. But a lot of the people, 
a lot of the people couldn't even reach that. So it was it was perfectly fine at the time. <laughs> okay, so so what Wayne gave me is in 84 was around the time he started competing. They used a mic called a C-Tech IV. Um, I don't know anything about that microphone, but it was definitely a diaphragm microphone. Do you know anything about it, Ray? No, I've never even heard of that, but... I wonder if Google knows anything about that. We should ask that later. <laughs> hey, Google, what do you know? Um, <laughs> and then uh, 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 then in about 85, they moved to the B&K 2231. So that's, I remember that. So that's a mic we probably know a little bit about because when uh, Car Audio started, it was pretty much just Iaska, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. So that's the, one, that's the one that struck fear in competitors. <laughs> When they wanted that high-speed yeah, score, that B&K was like a nemesis. That was, that was a hard mic back then. Yep. yep. So, so what it was is you can go to any show anywhere, and they would use, say, an audio control or this C-Tech mic or whatever. But when you wanted to have a legal record, it had it to be on the B&K. Yep. Yes. Yes. And, and then uh, um, back then, for the people that don't know, they didn't have frequency limits. You are correct. So yeah. as people learned, because in my opinion and what I've learned throughout the years is generally the people that are in the high end of car audio competition, they're not dumb. No. So <laughs> they, they probably get the most. Yeah. Um, I like being the dumbest guy in the room. And uh, that's part of what drove me into the car audio, you know, on the upper end of stuff. Because there are some of these guys out there that would just talk circles around me about, you know, at the time it was, you know, they were talking about different order band passes. And to me, I literally made a speaker box, square, sealed, and I heard if you put a hole in it, it's louder. And so I just took a two-inch <laughs> drill bit and put a hole, yeah. put a hole well, in my speaker box. You know, that was, you know, you guys are... You guys are older than I am, I believe. I'm not sure how old Ray is. I think he's older than me as well. But um, back in the golden age, when we were making that transition to larger woofers and, you know, ported boxes, there was this time when somebody would try something, they would get it right. Yeah, They would have an amazing score. And sometimes they hit it sometimes they didn't but a lot of times they would share that info with other people and it would go back and forth back and forth and that was to me it, it was almost like exploring new grounds like there's there was nothing to look back on to to learn it, you basically had to make your own path that's because the path wasn't laid out, you know. Nowadays, there's there's almost like a recipe, you know. Like yeah. if you look at any of the big builds and stuff like that, they're all very similar to each other because somebody's already proven the concept, and it's just yeah. a matter of you know refining and tweaking and build quality and et cetera, et cetera, right? But like yeah. the back in the day, it was exactly what you said: it's pioneering the way. Yeah, yeah. So, so me personally, I can I started competing in '98. Um, and um, and I, I just dabbled in it, right? I just, oh, hey, there's something going on here. Um, 
And then in 99, actually, it was 99 I started competing, sorry. It was uh, September-ish, uh, September-ish of 99. And I went to a show, and it was one of the old um, uh, Rockford Fosgate came and did their traveling show. And uh, so I went to the show, and I had an AudioVox 300 watt with a single sealed 10 in the trunk. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I had a, not a wicked one. Yeah, this is the not wicked one. It was um, the other one that he, that uh, by Deckware. It was the modified one. Yes. Yeah, I remember, I, I remember I took that design and I, I changed it to, it was kind of a series tune sixth order, but a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And uh, it would spike one note even harder for us bass heads that were in the lanes. Yep. And it kind of took off because you know it was another one of those one of those avenues where people were taking to to you know they were really popular with the SUVs right and yeah. and and it, and it was proven right so somebody did it yeah. did a great thing and some yeah. people fell on uh and yeah. then through most of my interaction i would say strongly at that time uh with Don yeah. Hebig when he was starting his beyond audio stuff i was actually running his subwoofers uh, and I was building 10 boxes a week and yep. testing it, you know? That's common. Yeah. That's yeah. common. And, and that actually, through talking with Don and another guy named Kevin Smith down in, he's in uh, Florida. I don't know if you guys remember oh, yeah. Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kevin Smith, uh, another guy, very, very helpful. But I learned how to tune a horn. And cool. And so here I was tuning horns in a minivan. Um, and, and, an S, and, and remember, Don, I used to have my Subaru yep. station wagon, right? I so, do, yeah. So I was the third guy in the world to hit a 150 in the street class. In the yeah. It was Street 1-2 or something back then. Um, I had an Arc Audio 1,000-watt uh, amp and two uh, Inhuman uh, 12s in the, uh, ha in the backside of a Subaru station wagon. And I did a 150.1 at a show, and you should have seen everybody's eyes all over my face. What, what's going on in there? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, I remember that. Because, like, nobody used station wagons, right? That's right when yeah. CRXs were starting, and everybody had a truck or CRX. And I do forget, I forget the guy's name, but he had a, uh, he did briefly have a world record with one of those uh, modified wicked ones. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, I I'll have to look up the name later, mm. but uh, well, he briefly had uh, a, a record down in Florida, and mm -hmm. it was pretty impressive. That's cool. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, so, so I'm I'm gonna move through here, um, and yep. then in uh, so they continued to use the B and K up, I believe, all the way to the point where we started getting the um, the uh, Term Lab sensors. So up until you know that time. B and K, it was the industry standard for years, right? Um, mm -hmm. So from 86, oh, sorry, in 1986, Wayne, so Wayne asked me to put this in. Uh, he didn't really ask, to, uh, ask me, but I thought it was awesome information. So in 1986, Wayne built light trees and got them to interact with the linear X meter. Yes. Um, Iaska changed over to the linear X meter. Well, Wayne, that's where we got our light trees from, right? And 
th I mean, those are really awesome. And so he wrote a program and built a hardware part that transferred the information going into the computer from the mic into the light trees. Yes. Yeah. Dude. I remember those ones up with him a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that started, it, he did that in, um, in 86, it says, and he said they, the standard mic at that time became the audio control uh, from 86 to 92. That's pretty long standing for a diaphragm yeah. microphone, right? Yeah. Um, once we get as long as you had spares, you were good. So, so we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> Those audio controls, they went out of calibration a lot, though. So, hey, we're going to get to that in just a minute. Save that for a moment. I got a great, great time to talk about that one. So, um, so we went to the audio controls in 92. Um, then in 95, the Linear X came out, which was actually a very awesome uh, system. Super expensive. I remember I bought the RTA Junior, which was uh, $1,500 or $1,600. And then you had to have a computer that was dedicated to it. But you can set up like a movie theater, and it was directional and stuff, you know. So it was, the, the Linear X was a really cool meter. Um, then in 97, Wayne came out with his Termlab stick mic. Um, for you guys that don't know, uh, like I said, that's right around the time I started competing, a little bit later than that. Those stick mics, um, uh, they had issues. And we're yeah. going to get to that next. So they were, they were just audio control mics that he was using. Is that and, what uh, it was? Yes. Yes, they were. Okay. A, a little a little known fact, when you hit a 176.7 on those, they went X, 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 X. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, as somebody pointed out in the chat, um, yeah. And so you guys, when, back then when you set up a car, you had to put – a small tripod with a microphone on a yep. on a mic stand and try and get it to sit and stay in the perfect spot you have sandbags build up around the base of it to hold it in place yeah duct tape down but yep. the wooden floor yep um so all those things you know those were uh issues that judges had uh but yep. I, you know it was cool um and then uh we'll go to the 2001 world finals Ray, yeah, I was there. <laughs> I know you were there. Yeah. So could you yeah. tell me what some of the issues were at World Finals 2001, sir? Well, basically, the mics would show that they were in calibration because you, you, you run the mic on the calibrator after every big run. So, so just those, real quick. For those of you that, that, that don't know what a calibrator there is. There you go. Thank this, you. You see this, this case right here? <laughs> this is a calibrator. <laughs> So basically yep. what happens is this particular device, is, it's, it's certified to, for a particular SPL reading. So when you put the microphone in there and you run this machine, it should read exactly 163.7 dB on this particular calibrator. If your mic is not dialed into that, what you do is you adjust the, the, the software to, to match the SPL reading that that particular microphone is giving you. However, sometimes when the microphones are really old, and the diaphragm is a little bit loose, at the calibration point, it reads accurately. But when you go beyond the scope of the ex that those few SPL readings near the 
calibration point. They sometimes don't read accurately, sometimes a little low, sometimes a little high. So, you know, back in those days, very, very important to have lane choice because, you know, once we started to compare a particular category, the, the microphones would not be switched from left to right. That, cat, that mic stays in that lane. So you'd always have teammates watching to, to see if there was a, a mic that was hotter than the other mics. So. Yeah, each, each team had a watcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you betcha. And so what keeper, that, you, know? you write it down. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so what were the di- what were the potential differences in the two mics that you oh you know seen? I, I've seen as high as like ten dB difference. Yes. I've yeah. seen as much as ten myself, and it was not com- uncommon to have at least five. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, on, on average, I mean. Man, for the number of shows that there were, there's probably like, you know, thousands and thousands of shows. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, they're within a couple of dB. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd venture to say 95% of the shows that I attended and went to, they were, you know, lane one and lane two within two dB of each other. I would uh, say two odd, is common. Yeah. Um, where, you, where you typically get, you know, higher SPL, <laughs> you know, differentiation between lanes is when you get some of the extreme competitors. Mm-hmm. And when you're hitting the diaphragm really hard, because you got to think about it, it's an analog. So, I mean, it's, it's a diaphragm that moves basically as it sees energy, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. the harder a- you hit it, the, the more it wants to move. So when, you, when you're at a show where you know, everybody's doing like 150, 160 dB, not a big deal. You go to a show where you've got a couple of guys that are, have some extreme vehicles that are doing it in the 170 dB range, and you're taking that diaphragm going whack, 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 <laughs> and causing it to bottom out and do all kinds of weird stuff, because it's quite small inside there. That's where you run into issues, and then you loosen up the suspension, and all of a sudden it's not reading it. That's what we learned from, though. You know, without all of that stuff, we would have never had, you know, the sensors built. I mean, if those were rock solid, yeah. we, we would never need to change, right? So, I mean, we're glad that we found those errors. We're glad we ran into those things, yeah. and those were those stepping stones that we absolutely needed, you mm-hmm. know, for all of us to evolve and get better at what we do. Yes, I. I mimic that exactly so i got a great wow don moved on me <laughs> what you moved on me for some reason um oh just somebody uh somebody's calling me and oh my... <laughs> so uh so <laughs> i had a i had a teammate at that 2001 world finals i'm sure you remember him ray it was uh chris howard uh okay. that was my teammate and he he and Steve Azevedo both mm. practiced on the same mic. We had the same audio control here in California, and we were setting up you know, our cars going to world finals. Because at that time, everybody in the entire world went to one location for world finals, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, it, they would, people would spend Long months. Drive. Yeah, they would people spend months shipping their car from Europe over to the United States for world finals. Yeah. One location. That was it for the whole world. And we had full classes in extreme. And we had what? Yeah. Three extreme classes. We had one to two, three to four, five to eight, and nine plus. Nine plus. Yeah. Yeah. And that was so we had eight people in each of those classes, not including all the regular DB drags, super street. um, But we only had like two street classes, I believe. And maybe three super streets same number of super street as there was extreme that's super right street one. yeah 
Yeah. So, was, was there was there ever over a hundred extremes at one point? I think there was. Yes. Yes. Yep. Uh, all of the earlier comp- like uh, shows in like the you know late nineties, like ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand and two. Uh, average attendance was like 250 plus vehicles and at least a hundred of them were extreme vehicles. Yeah, I believe 112, I'd have to count, but I think it was 112 and 99. Yeah. Well, you think each class that we just mentioned had 15 yeah. entries. Yes. Yeah. They were like, full. If you, if you dared to sandbag, you were taking your placement in the bracket at risk. Yeah, Absolutely. It, no doubt. Um, anyway, so so my buddy um, Chris is there, and Scott Sanborn, which you guys know, or you know Scott at least, Ray. Uh, do you know him, Don? Yeah, I met okay. him once, I think. Okay, yeah. so uh, Scott would be the petition guy, Ray, so <laughs> for reference. <laughs> um, so anyway, so Chris goes in the lanes, and Scott's job was to watch the lanes. Well, Scott got distracted for whatever reason, and Azevedo pulls in, and Chris is looking around. He can't find Scott and goes, well, I guess I want the left lane or whatever. I don't remember which lane he chose, and he goes in there. Well, we know this is for, like, fifth place, so this is, uh, I believe, the first round, and we know, because we're playing on the same mic for practice, we know we got Azevedo by six maybe even 7 db we go in the lane and he pops off a 171 in super street one to two (laughs) and we're like uh no there's no way in hell and um and so we talked to wayne whatever well we got to go with whatever the mics say blah 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 mike he recalibrated the mics he did it again he hit a 170 point something so he found a frequency or something that just peaked that mic. Um, but the third time he did it, he couldn't duplicate. He couldn't duplicate that ever again. And uh, yeah, so that's how important Mike cho- Lane choice was. He did a 171, and Chris still did a 167 point something in the low lane. So mm-hmm. um, he definitely, in our estimation, he was the loudest guy at World Finals that year. Uh, for Super Street one to two, he was <coughs> loud, and uh, but as a veto, you know that's why lane choice actually was up in the rules up until I think it was last year we took it out. Two two years ago. Two years ago we took out lane choice. Yeah. Um, it's still there. It just says lane choice goes to whoever gets there first. Correct. And before it said yeah. went to the highest seed. Yeah. Yeah. The sensors are within you know point one point zero five. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that that's where I'm at now. So because of the issue that was created at World Finals, and believe me, it was an issue. I'm sure, Ray. Uh, that's that's probably what drove you off social media, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I've never gotten onto social media. Uh, okay. Which is a good thing. Yeah. Oh man, it it clogged up the term pro forms back then. Like, oh, yeah, holy crap. That was the only thing talked about. But Wayne sat back and goes, there's got to be a better way. And he came up at, in 2002. We got the first sensor and it was analog. So um, I'll, I'll skip ahead. He's, he's uh, got serial numbers for those 
for all of those. He sold over 10,000 units of the analog uh, first sensors that we use. I still have mine, um, and they're the ones that have the K factor on them, right? You are correct, yep. Okay. I got that one too. Okay. One of you guys want to explain how that K factor and that works with those mics? Go ahead, Don. You cut out there. Oh, Dom, would you like to explain how the K factor works and on those uh, those mics? The K factor, well, uh, did, a lot of the early ones, I think they came in at the, what one seventy seven eight. Yep. For the setting on them or something like that. Yep. Okay. And uh, I'm not sure how did they calibrate those ones. I think. Okay, so I've never really played it, with. Okay, so because they were an analog um, device, Wayne had them basically calibrated every one to what the K-factor should be set for before they left his office. So everyone had a sticker on it when it shipped out, and it would tell you what the calibration point was, and that's what you had to set the K-factor to because it would because it was doing it all analog. It has oh, to take that right. information and has to convert it to something digital that it can, you know, regu like use as a reference point for what number should be you know, allocated for that amount of energy that's coming from the analog mic. So every one of them, you know, all had different case. Well, within a few tenths of it, you know, as far as I can remember anyways, I think like 177.8 is the most common one. Yeah. There were a few that were below and above that and stuff like that, but you just said it and away you go, right? So yeah. that's that's what it was. I, I have the 178.0. I have 178.1 and then a couple of the 77.8s. I never messed with mine because it was it was spot on with most other meters, so I didn't touch it. <laughs> yeah. So and that was something you changed within the Term Pro program. In inside the software, correct? Yes. Which, once again, that's a game changer because uh, for you guys that don't know, when they had the stick mics like the Linear X, the one that we call the suitcase, right? They would literally yeah. hang it over their shoulder and they walk around and they can adjust the K factor right there on the little suitcase and people were uh i'm just saying that the results were questionable often <laughs> yeah we've, we've been to a few shows where where we would uh be at least 11 to 12 db above the the next guy mm -hmm. and uh we would only be about two decibels ahead or one decibel ahead and we're, we knew what was going on but we just didn't care we just you know yeah what'd you this find is what he's talking about <laughs> this is the you know the old ones where you can adjust the dial right 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 while they were doing the competition so sometimes you know if they yeah, liked you they yeah. can just turn the gain up and if they didn't like you they just turn it down and then you wonder why you lost yeah that, ray that's why you have to be able to louder than the next guy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so so hey but but you know what that was the standard right for the time yeah for sure and and, yeah. and wayne helped that by coming up with the sensor uh <laughs> then let's see he in 2000 oh in 2003 he introduced the dot net which i looked for mine and mine's actually in my trailer so i couldn't get to it um that's the one that was the ribbon cable that went to a what was that yeah. pcmci connection yeah, that's so, right. that's correct. yeah so it's a pcmci which was uh, looked like a credit card slot right in yeah. the computer um it came with the thing that connects to the motherboard you connect that to your motherboard you put the pcs 
put the the long word letters uh, into the slot, and it translated that once again analog. But mm -hmm. the advantage was now four mics at a time, yep. which was awesome because we were do uh, death matches and whatnot with those four mics, right? Um, still do them sometimes at my shows. Uh, I got some other things coming up, so you just run out of time at a show, you know? Absolutely. Um, so from there, he did the .NET. Oh, also the .NET. So he won a prestigious award. Um, Wayne is really proud of this. It's not an easy award to award to win. He won the 2003 uh, with the .NET and sensors, the CES Innovation Award. So um, you know they don't give out a bunch of those at CES, and so he no, was recognized, right? I think that probably for me is one of the most uh, helpful innovations that I've seen in, in competition is that sensor because of the consistency mm -hmm. when you're testing and you check, you change one thing and you, you may very well may gain, but on the old stick mic, if it was too hard of a hit on the stick, you could cause that thing to go out of calibration and then your next test is out. So the sensor allowed us to take even further detailed minute steps to gain those 0.1s, 0.1, 0.1, yes. and eventually the 0.1 was 1 dB, then it was 2 dB, and it, it, it allowed us to further refine the enclosures. Because they were accurate, right? Yes, they were accurate. Yeah. Yep. They were and they consistent were and consistent. That that's a better word for it. They were really consistent, consistent, and they're they're tough. You can't break them. Right. So, uh, what was the difference that you guys saw between the stick mics to when he came up with the sensors? <clears throat> I know on mine when I first got the 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 sensors, uh, I still had the audio control uh, set up. And uh, I was seeing probably six decibel difference, six to seven decibel difference. Mm -hmm. But with the, with the three note average of the sensor, if I just took the peak note of those three notes, I was probably within a couple dB of what the audio control was reading. So a, a lot, I think a lot of that was that average too. Okay. So what did you see, uh, Ray, as far as the differences? Yeah. I mean, Typically about five dB. Okay. So that the I mean, like Don said, I mean, part of it is the averaging, the way that the the, the score is being measured mm -hmm. uh, had had to do with it. Uh, part of it was uh, I think it, it was more real life. Um, a lot of the higher SPL numbers uh, when you have a uh, a stick mic because of the diaphragm inconsistency, yep. you know, could have spiked it and, and had those higher numbers just because of that, right? Yep. I, I would agree. Um, then. So then we go to 2015. That's when Wayne comes up with the new Magnum. Uh, we switched from analog to digital. He got 16 times better resolution on what the microphone, the computer is <coughs> actually seeing. Um, can you speak to that one, Ray? Sure. So what that means when we say we went digital is that so previously the the old analog mic would read the information send the information to the box 
you know, translate the information, get it to the computer. So now there's an actual microprocessor basically inside the actual mic itself. It actually does all of the calculations right on the actual sensor itself before it sends it out. So yeah. and, I'm and not sure if you guys know this, but all of the sensors that were ever shipped that are all digital actually all have a Bluetooth chip built into them. None of them are active, but there's one in them. Yeah, I noticed just, that. Just food for thought. <laughs> actually... I actually opened Ray. I actually opened up when uh, when I just got this new Magnum. I opened up my Bluetooth and it says TermLab on it. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> well, well, the intent future. was to yeah. The intent was in the future is to be able to yeah. run it Bluetooth. Yeah, but it's sure. it's difficult on the security of a Bluetooth, especially um, for DB Drag. Um, <clears throat> I'm not speaking against any other organizations. But DB Drag really prides itself on being one of the few organizations that there's zero um, uh, subjective uh, information. Right? Everything is. This is what the computer says. This is what you got. There's yeah. there's nothing about it. This is it's 100%. It has nothing to do with the judge. So if the judge doesn't like you, he can't change your score. And the Huh? It's the gold. St it's the gold standard of measurement. Everybody, yes. when they're when they're measured on that, they know. And, you know, it's legit score, mm -hmm. depending on the organization. But the score is, it, you know, the equipment is not going to lie to you or malfunction. Yeah, and, and it, it's good enough technology that all sanctioning bodies have that as their official. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very yeah, that's for sure. Good. All right, so. So that's pretty much the evolution of the microphones and how they got went. Um, I did the um, original USBs and the dot nets. Did those read three frequencies also? I don't remember if those did or not. No single frequency. Yeah, that's what I thought. Two were singles. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so then when he switched to the Magnum, that's when it switched. So it's your highest three frequencies. Whatever the top frequency is plus the one on either side of it now is what it reads um, so that's that's the big thing um, and this is also uh, pretty much why it's so consistent is because it's harder to it's easier to trick one note versus three so um, that's how we got it so let's go back uh, mid 90s uh, some of the car audio equipment that we were using back then. Uh, you know of any of it, Ray? Mid nineties, like, let me think. Um, what was really popular in the mid? Well, Rockford was always really popular. Dude, in right here. Mid nineties. That was probably one of the largest brand names out there. Punch one fifty. Right, they had their, their mobile clinics. They're rolling around town. Uh, they're the ones that actually, you know, at the time of DB drag racing when it started in the late nineties. You know, the distributors uh, up in Canada, Corbon Trading, uh, was partnered up with them, and they are the ones that did all the DB drag racing shows across Canada. So, yeah, that, that's the biggest one. You know, Kenwood was really big back in the day. Uh, Pioneer was really big back in the day. I mean, these companies are all still around, obviously, yeah. but I, I think a lot of their focus has shifted away from, you know, the, the lanes, I guess. Yeah. So, what, makes about, sense. what about you, Don? What are you? Um, I just want to add one more thing to the, to the okay. new Magnum here. Uh, in regards to the Magnum, with a lot of the features that it brought out, I think one of the ones that I've seen popping up on Facebook, a lot of questions, uh, probably half a dozen times, mm -hmm. is 
how to use all the features of it and how what the hell is power factor people don't know what that is okay well do you so, want to help them with it power factor is it, it's basically a number that the, the magnum's pulling from the score and the power applied basically telling you how efficient your system is at that note mm -hmm. so you know if you have the right tuning and the right box and everything's as maximum efficiency as you can possibly get you're going to get closer to that 1.0 yeah. and uh you know i mean i haven't seen anyone hit 1.0 but i mean it, <laughs> it, <laughs> it, you know when you're when you're tuning your system and you could probably make a whole show just right. out of that one spec of the mm -hmm. magnum but basically what you're looking for with that new magnum is when you're when you're tuning you may be louder at one note but your efficiency is better on another one so if you retuned and moved over to that note you're going to be better overall for it yes yeah yep uh so um, far, back in that day as, hold on wait back in that day back in the day we used to have to do quarter wave theory to yes kind of so that that's where we're going with this stuff so you know yeah. so the equipment so what what equipment did you from the um, 80s ish with with quarter wave theory <laughs> but without that cap you know a frequency cap mm -hmm. it's much easier to tune a box get it set up it using that older theory with the higher notes hmm. you're able to get into the ballpark of where you needed to be and then all you needed to do is retest 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 calibrate retest 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 calibrate and keep doing that right yeah so and then and a lot of times and i actually have a speaker here when a little bit before my time but a lot of the early competitors this is what they had pro right audio here. they they started off using pro audio and and this stuff is you know 100 100 db one watt yeah like, extremely sensitive and then you know car audio companies started popping up rockford orion and then you got guys like pile coming out and doing colorful car audio subs <laughs> remember right? redline yes oh, yeah. yes so gnr redline so, or gns redline gns yep. redline yeah yep. so you're getting you're getting into a lower sensitive power power handling woofer and then you get into things like I'll just flip. Can I flip you around here? Sure. Yeah. And then you start getting into things like this, where you have a very strong magnetic gap. You have a very heavy cone. And this thing here, if you're measuring with 10 watts, this one's going to be louder than that one. But the minute you go above 10 watts or 15 watts, this one takes over and it can go on and on and on so and with the advancements of power as well mm -hmm. i mean you can get um you can get anywhere from 5000 watt to 4000 watt with 3 400 american dollars yep so so that's where i was going so, at with this so back in the mid 80s 88 that's kind of mid 80s I bought my first real amplifier. I bought a Punch 150 and a Punch 75 to run my mids and highs, right? Ooh, hang on. I think I might have one of those. 
<laughs> so my punch 150 though cost me seven hundred and fifty dollars so you were looking at seven to one almost six a little over uh you know six uh sixty dollars to one amp right no. or to one watt uh it's only a punch 300. <laughs> oh see it was mine was way older than that yeah this is not that old <laughs> so but yeah so the punch 150 um and then in 90 uh hyphonics i got introduced to hyphonics stuff and yeah. they had a zeus amp right dude this thing was as big as half of the back of the seat of this b2000 uh, uh mazda b2000 truck the guy had a full camper shell walk through in it and he had eight m m godfather 15s oh yes running off of uh four zeus amps and i walked into the store he was playing madonna like a prayer that first note hit and i went bam <gasps> dude i was hooked <laughs> i wanted some of that right um and that's why and so i got me so you know this is i'm 17 ish years old at the time so yeah. i had me a 70 uh 77 trans am i took the back seats out I put 212 sealed on the bottom where the seat cushions were. And then on top of that, I put this big old like five cubic foot box with polyfill in it with 215s. Cause I needed the, <laughs> I needed the 12s for the mid base and the 15s for the low lows. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was before I learned about, you know, that you can create whatever frequencies. Now they're going to be more efficient with a 15 than a 12 for super low, but you can create the frequencies with either one. And, you know, I didn't know. And that's where I told you. Um, so I had these two sealed boxes and I heard from some guy that if you put a hole in the box, it's going to be louder. <laughs> <laughs> so I took a two and a half inch hole on, <laughs> put some speed holes in that thing. <laughs> and how big, how big was the box? Uh, the top box was like five and a half cubic feet. And the 12 boxes were each like, like 1.3 this is just for memory i didn't actually a two inch hole in that big a box you're tuning it at like 65 i yeah <laughs> yeah and it was three quarters inch deep right yeah <laughs> so you know that that's we all learned stuff right yeah, yeah. um but it but got, it would have got a little bit louder though yes so at that point a thousand watts was a big amp right that was like yeah oh that's what you're buying. Oh, yeah, for sure. Back in the day, like, you, you got to think, I mean, the same physical size of a 1,000-watt amp back in the day is, like, the footprint of a 5,000-watt amplifier nowadays, yep. and maybe even bigger now. Like, mm -hmm. the, and, and like Don was saying before, like, it was, like, you know, $7 a watt, and yes. then it was, like, a dollar a watt, and on average, for a really good Korean board nowadays, it's, you yeah. know, on the American side, like, 30 cents a watt. You know, yep. for a good American, for a like uh, a full bridge or a um, a Brazilian type board, you're talking ten or fifteen cents a watt nowadays. Yeah, um, right. yeah. So so that was the thousand, and I competed ninety eight, two thousand. I crashed my car. That's when I met Don, and I was building boxes like crazy because yeah. I couldn't do anything. I was on crutches. I couldn't walk. Yeah, you're. You're, I remember you sending pictures and <laughs> you're trying to run a skill saw with a crutch under your arm. Yeah. Hey, dude, I'm carpenter by trade, right? That's yeah, just, yeah. You did it. I did it. Um, 
and then so at that time you know the thousand watt was pretty big um and then at some point in 2001 ish um i started my own company sonic fx uh with the help of don and a couple other people um definitely it, they were very instrumental and helpful to me but uh, when i started my own company we started introducing i was uh, with powerbase uh, i did a lot of stuff with powerbase because of um os what was his name uh tom tom osborne no tom uh remember he got the patent on ports or he tried to file a patent for ports on subwoofer boxes yeah, yeah you're ringing a bell but i can't get the last name <laughs> yeah so anyway, so Tom, he lives in Missouri now. Um, I actually went to high school with the guy and uh, met him again through DB Drag. And uh, so um, he was worked for Powerbase as an engineer for them on their amplifiers. So I was buying the 1200 watt boards and I was sending to him and we were talking and we were trying to adjust them and get, we got them up to like 1500 watts, which like I said, in 2001 was a good amp, 1500 watts. Um, but then I saw a big jump to 2000 watts. You guys remember what year about that was? Uh, 2000 watt amplifiers came out, I think in 2002 or 2003. Yeah. Because Crossfire made their, their, yeah. their 2000 watt amplifier. Um, there was, there was a lot of companies that were making 2000 watt amplifiers at the time. I think you're right. Zapco was making their C2K something or other. And, uh, <laughs> 9.0. <laughs> yeah, that was two two amplifiers strapped together. But let's yeah. Not <laughs> so uh, that's where I was gonna go. So when we only had a thousand watt amplifier, nine point oh, there it is. Um, yeah, and then they tried saying, "Well, it's only one amplifier. Look at the end cap; it's bolted together." <laughs> uh, but I do remember uh, Scott Sanborn and I and a couple other guys were working on bridging modules. And we came up with a bridging module thing, and we actually took it to Zabco at the time. And Robert Zeff um, made fun of us, right? Because we are nowhere near the level of Robert Zeff. If you guys know Robert Zeff from Zabco, uh, the the guys I never I mean, met him. No. The guys, the no. guys' mental level for engineering is well well above mine. But you know, he he pretty much laughed at what we had. But he goes, hey the concepts here and that's when he started building it and he put it in those amps and then crossfire came out with the bridging module right where you could put a couple of their uh what was it the bmf 1000s together yep um scotty johnson i believe it was that had did he have the white crossfire van at world finals i believe it was a crossfire was it scotty? no i think it, no it was uh chris wasn't it chris Okay. Anyway, I remember, so he did the death match, and uh, it was the oh, 2005 Cook. World Finals. It was, it was Steve Cook. Uh, Steve, Steve Cook. Cook yeah. There you go. So White, white van. Yes. So, yeah, I'm, with... so I'm sitting at the back. My, um, my duties, that was my very first World Finals, 2005, and my duty was a fire extinguisher guy. And so we're doing World <laughs> – Hey, so so we're doing um, we're doing the death match, and I go over there, and he's got his back open, right, and just sparks, 
caps just popping everywhere, sparks shooting out the side of uh, uh, the side of his amplifiers. And you know that's we, we weren't kind then. We started calling them catch fires. Um, I mean, it, it's a solid brand. Don't get me wrong, but just because of that instance, you know, we were calling them catch fires. And I I pulled up that thing and I got ready to shoot the fire extinguisher. And he goes, "If you do that, I will beat your ass." Let it burn. Were they? Huh? Were they BMFs? Uh, they were the white ones. VR. No, is or were they BMFs? They were the white ones. No, they were VR. They were VRs. The one. They oh, were the one okay. thousands. Okay. And he had like twenty yeah. of them in there or something. And yeah, that was, that was the, the more the the newer version. The older right. ones were better. Oh yeah, and he and he says he says you let this car burn to the ground. I was like, <laughs> all right, that's somebody dedicated right there. Um, what I want what I want to see, and I know they do this in pro audio. Um, I want to see amps that I can, that I can uh, parallel stack, stack, stack. I, I feel it's very doable. Um, you know, I see it for the first time in 2004. Stacking not, amps. Not not physically, yes. I mean electronically. All the negatives yes. together, all the positives. Yeah, correct. I, so in, in in 2004, and in Europe, I don't even remember the, the the company. It was the Finnish guys. They were able to strap eight amplifiers into one channel. So four of them would be the negative, and four of them would be the positive. Yes. I cannot I cannot remember the brand name. Right it wasn't Cactus Sounds. No, it was like SPL Dynamics or something like that. Okay. That, the ones that came up with uh, Blue Magic, SPL Blue or whatever it was? I have no oh, idea. DB it was, Blue? It, it, DB Blue. It, it, was, it was the Finnish guys. That's that, okay. that, that's what they had in their vehicle. Okay. So, so yeah, so then we started bridging amplifiers, and then that was also around the same time as the coils changed. Yeah, yeah. Want to speak to those, Don? The quad coils? Yeah. Well, it was it was mainly <clears throat> it was mainly in part with uh, the the amps weren't quite big enough, so the 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 woofer technology, the ability to build them really strong, and not having enough power to get there, so you would strap two amps per coil, you'd have eight amps on one speaker, mm -hmm. and it still wouldn't be enough power for a burp. So, yep. you know. They, you had dual coils, but then they started going, well, we have another spot on the basket. Let's just throw two more coils on it. So that's that's how that went. And, and then when the conductor limit came in, mm -hmm. people would just opt out and get the dual coil. So that kind of left the quads kind of by the wayside. They, are, they still do hold merit in certain situations, but when you're limited to conductors and you know where a dual coil will get by and with mm -hmm. the power clamped classes you can kind of get away from that yeah I, I actually current as i understand it right now currently most high output coils are actually quad coils they're just internally series or internally parallel so just as an Correct. example that uh, we're we're a dc audio dealer and uh one of the coils that I had is an eight-layer coil, and it's actually a quad coil, and they internally series or parallel them. Obviously, one of the joints internally failed, and I'm like, why is it reading eight ohms? I owned like a, a two-ohm, you know, and, and that's why is because the, 
you know, the quad coil is how it's designed and engineered, and then they internally they they series or parallel. So. Yeah, well, it's tough to get that much uh, wire in a gap and get the oh, yeah. load that you want. So the, with Correct. the multi layers and doing four coils, so you can fill you the can gap kinda, better. You can kind of yeah. see that there. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's a this is a DC coil. That's that I believe it's one you shipped me actually. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's actually a bifiler wire. Yeah. Which it's explain stupid. that to people so they understand. Well, it basically what it is is the the wire comes down in a pair, right? It goes with you know down, does the the wraps, goes down, comes back up in the opposite direction of the original. And then, so when you have the electrons flowing, you know, that way and the return coming this way, that, that it's, it's going to help with the, the field that's generating. It's going to be a lot less with the bifiler wire versus just winding one down and one back up. So, but you could easily turn this into a quad just by pulling it out sooner, half instead of coming out here, you just come out halfway on, uh, you know, at ninety degrees on the other side of the coil. There so, you. yeah. And then, so some of the other things that were uh, happening there. So we had the quad coils. Um, a big person for that was Mike Anke, right? Yeah. So yeah. the mouse that was a that was a game changer when it first came out. Um, and then at that same time, though. Um, who was it? It was the one in Florida, Mats, MM Mats. Holy Mats, crap. Yep. Came out with that 3,000 watt amp that was, I mean, you could fit it inside your door. Dude, that I, was awesome. I, I think you're talking about the, those, uh, DHC. Those yes. Yeah. Ray's got some in it, one of them in his shelf there in the back. <laughs> you're talking about the Earthquake PhD3? No, no, the MMATS. Oh, I, I also have one of those, but mine's only the 1200 watt version. Oh, okay. But they made a 3000 watt version that yes, was tiny. It was perfect for like yes. motorcycle installs. And I mean, that you would need 3000 on a motorcycle, you know? <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, 3000 on a motorcycle isn't even, even <laughs> big. I, I, I seen a motorbike that had 24,000 watts on it. Ooh. That, see, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so, so now, now amps are getting smaller, power's getting bigger, right? Um, then we started, that's when we were really, I think, going into changing. We went from Kapton formers to aluminum formers, and then we were playing with different wires like flat wound versus copper round, um, you know, some of those things, right, uh, Don? Yeah, oh, yes. so it, I mean, you, you mentioned round to flat. It, it was a, a power enter and energy density thing. So if you think of it, when you have a round wire by a round wire with another round wire, there's always a microscopic gap in between there. When you have them flat, each one can be stacked perfectly on top of each other and you have no empty space. You, you got a better field out of it. And you also have a better thermal transfer rate to the, to the side of the coil for cooling. Correct, because you have no insulators in between because each gap that's yep. in between these round ones, that's a microscopic amount of air that, or you know resin or whatever it is that, that prevents yep. the heat from being transferred. So when you have them flat and they're stacked directly on top of each other, but only the, the rosin in between, it helps to conduct the heat out. Which is why we went to aluminum formers versus capton formers. Yes. 
right? And then heat dissipation. Uh, huh? Yeah, heat dissipation, and that's where um, I know Don had a big deal with that. I played with it quite a bit. Um, quite a few manufacturers where we were actually putting holes in the former to yeah. try and create surface area uh, to dissipate yeah. the heat. We tried um, uh, pole venting of different ways to try and create, you know, to try and dissipate heat. Uh, yep. I, I know Don and myself both There's were playing with in 2002, 2003. We were playing a lot with the Neo stuff, but holy good Lord, was it expensive then. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, China made everything less expensive, you know. It did. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I the first uh, Neo motor I bought me at it, so – at that time, I was paying, I believe, around $25 for a double-stacked 210 magnet. Okay, so 210 ounces, double-stacked. Uh, so for my magnetic material, I think it was like $25. My first Neo magnet that I got, which was nothing, it was a couple of rods, um, I believe they charged me around $95. So, and now we have Neo magnets that are, I mean, they have the roll of nickels all the way around the thing, right? And so, yep. I don't know what the manufacturing cost is nowadays, but man, at that cost, it was just too prohibitive for so, us to continue with it. So, this is an old juggernaut pull right here. Oh, yeah. And you can kind of see how they were testing with that. Mm -hmm. Very, and this is the one that DD made for them when they first came out. Yep. Oh, so speaking of DD, just so people that don't know, Digital Designs—that's what DD is. Um, they came out around the same time, 2003-ish, um, and uh, it was a competitor, I believe, that started his own subwoofer company. And uh, he, and to be honest with you, uh, the Sonic FX subwoofers I made. If I could not put my subwoofer in my box, in my vehicle, and be louder than the DD, I threw that design away and came up with another one. Because at the time, DD dominated the high end of uh, stereo of the speakers. The, uh, this is how far the Neo has gotten. This isn't. This is uh, actually this is Ray's Neo. Okay, but. So this so let us know what size it is too, so that you know, because like I said, people a, are listening online versus seeing. One inch diameter mm -hmm. by one inch tall, round, mm -hmm. with a quarter inch hole in the middle mm -hmm. for mounting, you know, on each pillar, mm -hmm. and it's an N forty eight UH, so it, it'll take uh, over one hundred and eighty degrees. But this this one Neo has more force, uh, lifting power, per se, and and quite frankly, uh, concentration of flux than this. Which is what size is that? This is an eight inch triple stack. Uh, I believe I believe it's Y thirty five. So but it's it. It's a triple stack magnet that's eight inches in diameter, one inch thick. Yes. Uh, each of them is three quarter inch thick. Okay. But it, this 
is stronger than this. <laughs> so that that's the difference in Neo versus uh, exactly. uh, rare earth metals, right? The regular. Um, yeah, they're very small and energy dense, as I like to call them. Yes. Where the only advantage, if you was to compare this one to this one, the only advantage this would have over this one is it would have more resistance to field collapse with power applied to the voice coil. And that's why you use multiple of these versus one of these, because this one here has a, a really nice resistance and lower rise on your uh, coil. Mm -hmm. But when you put lots of these, you're going to have a much higher limit with the trade-off of a little bit more rise. So and an, another issue we had initially with the um, with the neo is we needed that extra material to dissipate the heat from the coils also, and I remember that was a big problem. So yeah. we're paying more for the neo, and it didn't di dissipate the heat very well off of the coils. So those well, two were made them prohibitive at the time. But since the prices have come down, people have got to test it. And that's where they came up with stacking multiple yeah. ones around yeah. it. So now you can get through cross ventilation and cool the coils down. This, this back, you know, I mean, they didn't have this back in 98, 99, but it, the, the, ver the highest version of Neo grade that you could buy, it was roughly about $30 for this size. 30 you can get you can get you can get this size in an n52 for between five and six dollars yeah so big difference huge difference yeah. um so so you know back also i think it was around 2006 2007 um i rockford fosgate came out with their 25,000 watt amp you remember that the, the warlord or something like that? I don't remember the name of it, but oh. it was massive. Yeah, it was like a big this. One. Yep, it, it filled Short up lip. an entire showcase thing, right at CES. You yep. had one of those in the, a vehicle. And I think, I think at CES they had one hooked up to like fifty subwoofers or something like that. Crazy! It was like a lot of woofers off of one app. They're like, see how much power it has. Yeah, but I mean, but realistically, they were like the first ones to do it with a amplifier obviously harrison labs you know with their one amp that they had that would do fifty thousand watts but it was essentially that, just a converter that that was just a switcher positive yeah. it was just a bunch big high high current relays <laughs> yes <laughs> but it did produce fifty thousand watts or whatever it was there's some insane number um also back in the early 2000s we had the cheater amps right the uh the oh yes the was orion. it orion yeah, the five, yeah. five watt. Or the HCCA. Like yep. The ha high, half high, o or yeah. half watt. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It, it's because, you know, back in the day, like, so, you know, we, we talk about the, the late 80s and early 90s, and, uh, uh, you know, Slam Jam was really popular then. I ask, it was really popular then. Their categories were based on manufacturers, you know, S or mm -hmm. power output of the amplifier. So, for example, you know, the Orion HCCA 225 and the MTX, you know, 225H, uh, HO and the um, 
Crossfire something or other 215. They were like, you know, 15 watts by two, it's, it's 25 watts by two. Day. Yeah, yeah. By two. But these are all like, you know, at eight half, ohms, half ohm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then they would like load them down, and all of a sudden it's like an 800 watt amplifier. Right? Yeah, at quarter ohm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not that we ever suggest people through. doing quarter ohm. <laughs> but I mean, you just got to think though. The entire industry basically builds all of their equipment based on what other regulatory bodies suggest. So, you know, I ask ahead zero to five, 50 watts. So they made 50 watt cheater amplifiers, you know, yeah. um, DB drag racing makes, uh, you know, you can only have four conductors. So they combined their quad coils and made them into dual voice coil drivers, but on the coil side, so there's only four conductors on the outside. Um, you need, you know, so on and so forth, right? Like so much of the industry that we have right now has been steered just by competition. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, back in the 90s when it started, sealed boxes were very popular. Like, even look at uh, the early 2000s. You know, the loudest guys on the face of the earth was uh, Wolfgang and uh, the Team BAS guys from Germany, 177.7, done with sealed boxes. You know, yep. 16 woofers, 10-inch woofers, all sealed, each one individually tuned to hit the microphone at the exact same time, so they had a coupling effect. Nowadays, guys are getting, you know, that that loud with you know one or two woofers so you know technology as as it progressed was basically to maintain superiority in the lanes and stuff like that so mm -hmm. you know we went from regular sealed boxes to ported boxes that you know prefabricated enclosures in the 90s only came with round ports yep. everybody proved that you know these slot ports can be really big and aeroports can be big so then years afterwards we see all these prefabricated enclosures with round ports that are, are flared so that mimicking what's happening in the lanes and they're doing big slot ports and stuff like that and you know et cetera, et cetera. i mean i think most recently i've seen kicker makes a big 412 box that you can buy that's got this you know rounded yep. slot port you yep. know yep. so manufacturers are, are realizing that this is how we want to maintain engagement <clears throat> with our clients out there we can skip the whole fabrication step if we can sell it to them as a buy it and the solution's already there you just put it in your vehicle and away you go so they're just taking what they see working for their customers in the lanes, you know, the turfed boxes, mm -hmm. the yeah. air spaces. They're saying, okay, uh, I don't know, maybe a Tahoe is a really popular vehicle that it fits in. They're going to design it for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. I mean, you know, uh, stereo competition and the <clears throat> audio industry is very similar to like drag racing or NASCAR is to the auto industry. They get to test these high-end things that, you know, when they build it, they'll never make it to market, but it's going to be super, and then they find out it, it's efficient or it does this, and then all of a sudden now they can fit it into the everyday market. I mean, look at what's in the cars nowadays versus what were in the car 15 years ago. A lot of the stereo systems that come in these cars, they even have a little bump in them. You know, a single eight in a seal in a box in the back in a Q Logic type box, and that's good enough for some soccer moms, you know. Yeah, and that a lot of that competition uh, experimentation it has a trickle down effect to the mm -hmm. to the mainstream items. You know, the top of the line uh, product, you might use some of those aspects that don't cost too much into the low end ones. Mm -hmm. So agreed. Agreed. Yep. I mean, the, one of the big things that I saw come from the car audio too, is the head units, right? So these guys were manufacturing head units 
that could produce the full 8 volts. Uh, Pioneer did a great job with that, and I believe that had to do with Scott Owen saying, hey, I need more voltage for these. I'm running 22 or 24 amps, whatever he was running, and he's like, hey, I yeah. need voltage for these, and then, you know, along came line drivers and whatnot, and then yeah. Pioneer was like, hey, we don't want somebody buying a piece of equipment we don't sell, so let's let's put out 8, 12 volts, whatever it is, on their you know, out there subwoofer outputs. So all of that stuff has been, like I said, I think car audio competition is driving the car audio market. Um, and we haven't even got into the countless people that um, have started car audio companies because they were competitors. I mean, oh, yeah, for sure. Two of the, uh, so personal friends of mine. So, um, Two of the people that I can call right off the top, Incriminator Audio, Nick Wright, competitor, supporter, started a car audio brand. Now he's very successful on the East Coast, and I'm sure he ships all over the place. DC Audio out of Reno, yep. ships yep. all over the world, I know for a fact, because you know we're friends, whatever. And so it created an, a source of income that started out as a hobby for him, and he loved it. Then he owned a stereo shop and then he was like, man, I need to make these woofers louder. I need to get louder. And he started reconing. Then next thing you know, he starts up DC audio. Now he has a full yep. line. He's got subs. He's got mids and highs. He's got amps. He's got sound deadener. I think yesterday, I think I saw him post like a thumb drive or something with the DC logo on it or, you know, <laughs> volt meters, volt meters. Oh, that's, that's what it's volt meters. So, yeah, so they, you know, it, it, the, I just, I can't express how much I enjoy the car audio. I've been doing it 21 years. Ray, how long you been doing it? Same amount of time. Yeah, and Don, how long have you been doing it? Competing, uh, yeah. probably since 92. Okay, so, I mean, but like I said, so, I mean, the friends I've made in this, uh, Ray comes, and when he goes to one of my shows, uh, we catch up like, I mean, it, it takes us minutes to catch up, right? We talk about his kids, his like 17 kids he has. Um, <laughs> and he, ha he has another one on the way every time I talk to him. So, <laughs> um, you know, and, and Don, you know, me and Don, we talked a lot back in the day. Uh, we still talk and, you know, our talks are typically technical stuff. Um, that, but that's the relationship we have. And, but Don's a great guy, you know, he's got his family things going on. You know, I know where he work, know what he does for a living. No Ray owns FX audio up in Canada. I mean, him and, uh, Don are both wearing the shirts from the shop, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have FX audio, everything, you know, FX audio, <laughs> <laughs> but FX audio is the biggest supporter for DB dragon mid Canada, right? You guys are mid Canada, yeah. Western Canada. Oh, you're Western Canada. So, um, which is 12, 13 uh, hours driving <laughs> to the ocean. Oh, yeah, you betcha. So if I was to head directly west and keep driving, it'd be like 13 hours till I see in the ocean. Yeah. So that's what they I'm call west. I'm in the west. middle of nowhere. <laughs> Don's, Don's in the middle of nowhere. So, but anyway, you know, these guys, um, we have, I think we have real good camaraderie. Uh, Ray and I collaborate quite a bit. 
with uh, DB Drag Rules. I send him pictures, I ask his opinion. He'll send me information, ask my opinion. Um, we do it with all the judges. Don helped uh, come up with the the clamp classes. Uh, Don's like, hey, I'm testing all these different clamps, and we came up with an X Tech. Yeah. It was the one he came, Don came actually, up with. Actually, uh, Ray actually ordered those for me, so he was a part of it as well. See, there you go. Um, I know Ray and Don have been part of developing the DB Drag classes for years and years and years. I've been involved with the DB Drag on the looking into um, rules since I you believe it was like seven pages long when I first got in. And now yeah. I think we're up to 24 or 23 pages. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then these guys come up with the class. Uh, Don was instrumental in Cyclone. Uh, and yep. I do more shows than just about anybody. I believe more than anybody in the world on an annual basis. Oh, I do have one question. Sure. Who, who was the one who brought in the demo class? Whose idea was that? That I couldn't say. I told because Wayne what I was doing, and then he called me up uh, about two weeks later and says, we got a new class called Demo Class. Because I remember having conversations with Wayne. I'm not sure if he's watching, but if, if Wayne's watching, I pleaded with him to let's have a class where you just use the SPL score with the bonus points. And he, he swore up and down, nope, we need to have the RTA. We need to have the RTA. So when I saw the demo class, I was uh, I, there was a little grin inside of me that never stopped. <laughs> so I will tell you, I've been telling Wayne for a few years, Wayne, just go in and look. Everybody's got an 88 for the RTA number because I don't do it. You yeah. <laughs> so. Um, oh, the RTA is fun. Well, but, no, so it, it's fun to you. Um, a I, lot of people. I, I do this. I'm a showman, right? So my yeah. job at the show is to put on a show for people to see. And there's not much of a show for RTA unless you're no. a geek like you, me, maybe Ray. <laughs> and a couple. Dude, you, you see how that peak right there? Yeah, if he just does this, he can he can bring that up a little bit. You know, there's not a lot of people in the world that but, see that. But I saw it when I was when I was wanting that demo class with just the SPL plus the bonus. Mm -hmm. I saw those people going, hmm, I just want to do the SPL. <laughs> yes. And, and, so, that, and that was common, right? Yes, yes. Um, so, so since I do the most shows, I believe, in anybody in the world um, on an annual basis, the, you know, I end up testing these classes as we're developing them. So the guys in California, um, shoot, we were doing a, a class called Street Beat back in 2002, 2001 that yeah. later developed into Base Race. It, it, I mean, it was very, very similar to Street Beat. And then USAC, it's actually almost identical to USAC's um, Street Beat class, but it, it was head-to-head. -head. So we yeah. put people 1,200 watts, 212s, that was a class play music for 30 seconds and average score whoever had the highest average score won. You know uh you know what would be really cool if I'm not sure if can you if Wayne's watching or if Wayne if you're watching now <laughs> what would be really cool with this RTA you know would be to get the cabin game of your vehicle 
using this software by having a predetermined you know box that's outside the vehicle you know tested a, with the sensor right here put it in the vehicle, have a screen capture or a data capture on the program, put it in the vehicle. It'll, it'll extrapolate the cabin gain, gives the person with the Magnum something to aim for. <laughs> That's some high level stuff there. Um, That's, there's people out that, there that would understand it. That is the next step I think for his RTA. And if anyone knows how to figure out how to do that, that would be, that would be Wayne. And I'll show you one thing that I use. So, um, while he's, oh, there he goes. He made it back. Right. Yep. One oh, cubic foot. I, no, actually oh. it's, uh, I believe it is 0.4, but it's only a, a six inch uh, B&W. This driver I found measured the flattest in this enclosure. But literally, if I put this, and I've had this for probably 20 years, if I put this in any vehicle, and if I don't fry the speaker in it, whatever it peaks at, I've got it set up so it, the, it is the vehicle's peak. So That's pretty good. Yeah. I, and so, sorry, with, uh, with most... I don't think this driver is made anymore. It's my last one. <laughs> but when when you put this in front of your RTA sensor, right, you know, right in front of it, uh, you're going to get the response off of this thing. When you put it in the vehicle and you put the, the RTA in, you know, or the sensor, you can use the sensor too if it's loud enough. Pull off of uh, each note and their score. You take one score minus the other, gives you cabin gains. So, and the RTA can easily do that, I'm sure. Okay. So. Um, yeah, I was gonna say. So, I'm not that technical because I don't have time for that stuff anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so what ba I basically what he's saying is for all you those, for all the listeners that aren't watching, you have a sealed box that has a oh, subwoofer yes. that plays very linear that plays all of the notes relatively equal to each other from 20 to 80 hertz, for example. You measure that outside the vehicle. Yeah, the Q of 0.7. You take that same you know, woofer, put it inside the vehicle, redo the exact same test from 20 to 80, for example, and then it'll give you a particular peak. And as, so that peak should, in theory, as long as everything is accurate outside the vehicle, as it is inside the vehicle, that'll tell you what the gain is or what the cabin gain is. And it'll also tell you what the peak frequency should be. Yeah. So, yep. so for me, um, because I did quarter wave theory so long and I've judged so many cars, I can essentially look in a car, see where the subwoofer is, see where the port is. And I can usually get within two or three hertz of what the peak is on that vehicle based on the quarter wave theory, you know. Um, yes. It's, years and years of experience. That's right. And, I but mean, for Good. But for those for those guys who don't have twenty plus years to fall back on and can't look at a car mm -hmm. like we can and go, that car is going to peak somewhere forty nine fifty, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Somebody who's just getting into it is overwhelmed. That's one way they can do it. They do a a 
a reading with a, a linear box, like Ray was saying, 0.7, mm -hmm. a Q of 0.7. You don't have to have a $300 mid in it. You just pick anything really that plays fat, flat. You can get yourself a studio monitor for all that matters and use that. Mm -hmm. oh. So, yeah. Um, you guys will be, so uh, for the people watching right now, I am introducing a brand new thing to my uh, DB drag competitions. So uh, you guys are hearing about this for the first time. There's only one other competitor I told about it, and it's because he's already been involved in it once. So what I am doing now is um, people find it amusing that I can jump in any car and base race it. Never seen the car, never done anything. As a matter of fact, one year at World Finals, we were in Oklahoma, and somebody said, the mics are screwed up. I said, give me your thing. Okay, when this should start, what should your number be up there? And he goes, you should be a 148.9. I go, okay. So let me see. Okay, start it up when you're ready. Bam, he starts it. I hit the button, 148.7. I missed it by one-tenth of a dB of what he said, and I nailed a perfect 149.9 with the guy's car. And he was telling me how the mics were all messed up. There's no way anybody can do base race with this. So at my shows, I help competitors out. From here, from we're going to try this the next few shows. And what I'm going to do is whoever wins your base race class, you can pay $10, and we're calling it Beat the Boss. So whoever they beat in the final run of their base race class, I will ask to borrow their vehicle, and I will use that vehicle, and I will beat them in base race. So beat the boss, and if you beat me, you get twenty bucks. Pay That's ten bucks. The race should do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will tell you. So uh, Dave Bradshaw and I did that at the last show because it was his birthday. So I wanted to. Hey, I'm going to make it more competitive for you. I went one twenty nine point nine three times in a row. The fourth time, I was trying to read off. I mean, you guys know, so I do my little auctioneer thing. Right? I'm all 129.9, So I'm going back and forth with my numbers. And it was too hard to go back and forth with my numbers, watch the bass knob, and pay attention to mine. And I busted out with two seconds left. Multitasking. It was a little too much multitasking. So next time, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to bass race and do my 29.9 all day long. So, but if anybody wins a class and whoever's in their class at the final run, if they want to go against me, we're going to call it beat the boss and you pay 10 bucks, you win, you get 20 back, you lose, you lost your 10 bucks. So it's just a little something to have more fun with. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it, I get a pra I get a play with the guys, right? So. I, I would lose cause I haven't done that in such a long time. I, I did it for the first time the last show, and I nailed 29.9 three times in a row. That's the first time That's I've ever awesome. done it. There's only two volume levels, zero and 100. <laughs> Everything to the right. Uh, yeah. That's hilarious. So also, I'm going to pull this up real quick. I want you guys to see. So another thing we're going to do is we are going to start showing you what's the upcoming events. Uh, if you guys can see your screen right now, we have on May 1st coming up, we have Greenville, Michigan. As a DB, these are only DB drag events because that's all I'm pulling up. Uh, we have a 3X on the 8th, which is in Newport, Tennessee. We have an event in Ukraine and Utah on the 8th. Uh, 
then we have Netherlands on the 9th. Uh, one show that's missing from there is Friday, May 7th. Uh, Solis is currently making the flyers. We will be at Jay's Alarms down in Fresno. I will have him on the show next week. I didn't put that on the outro, but he will be on here to talk about his event. We're going to have Friday night shows in, um, in Fresno, and then we're going to have uh, Saturday night shows up in Sacramento with Brian Nyman, and we're going to have Saturday night shows in Reno at Baldini's. So that's pretty much what we got set up. That's uh, four event, or sorry, three events for the next four months, uh, Friday night, Saturday night, and a Saturday night uh, for every month. So right now we're looking at at least 12 events. I have two more on the books that we're working towards. So you guys will see more and more shows pop up. Uh, Ray, what do you got coming up? Anything? Well, my first show that I have planned is uh, is a uh, May twenty third. It's a Sunday of uh, in Canada. We have a long weekend called uh, Victoria Day Long Weekend. Um, I'm partnering up with a, a group called uh, Man. Why can't I never? I can I can't think these days. Anyways, <laughs> well, you are old. <laughs> Anyways, we're doing it at a Casserole Raceway. Um, currently, right now, I mean, we have all kinds of health restrictions and stuff like that with COVID, and uh, you know, having right now we're only allowed to have ten people in an outdoor gathering. Uh, we have a special authorization from Alberta Health Services to have this uh, particular event. It's in a, it's at a raceway. Uh, space is actually quite large. It's like fifteen or twenty acres or something like that. So there'll be a ton of space, so we can all attend and maintain our social distancing. But uh, that'll be the first show of the season. Uh, that's Sunday, May twenty third. Um, we should have probably. You know, 12 shows this year, maybe maybe a little more than that. I have a lot of, in, uh, you know, interest, a lot of people calling in and inquiring about events. Uh, Don just got a, a brand new Magnum. I mean, he's, he's definitely has all the gear and he's definitely more than capable of running shows and stuff like that. I, I know he's got a lot of obligations with family and work, but, you know, what's, what's, what's in a, a day, you know? You don't realize I worked that day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. maybe maybe if i went to the to the the higher ups and said the, there's a show and uh, <laughs> just turn off the water for everybody you're good yeah just, just turn it off and just close down for the day uh <laughs> hey so also ray you want to plug your shop real quick yeah, it's just, I mean, I think you guys have been plugging it all the entire time. I mean, I, I, I am Ray Choi. I'm the owner of FX Audio Car Audio, car audio Shop in Western Canada. Uh, we support all formats of competition, mostly DB drag racing, because that's, uh, you know, what, what we love and what we do. Um, the car scene in general is absolutely fantastic. Um, I tell everybody that as a totality, all, you know, everybody gains if, if you know, car audio scene is, is growing, whether it be IASCA, Mecca. Uh, in fact, I, I, I had the guys here. Um, I don't, I, I believe we do not have Mecca at all. And uh, there's two guys that moved here from Trinidad and they live in Alberta now. And I was in conversation with them and they're going to partner up with us and uh, have Mecca events uh, at the exact same time we have our DB drag racing events. Um, I've been reaching out to the uh, IASCA people so that we could try to have Mecca, IASCA, and DB Drag Racing all in the same weekend, or all, all at the same time would be ideal, especially if we have enough space. Uh, mm -hmm. Just because it's a totality, if the entire industry is growing, we're all going to do better. We're all going to grow together. So, mm -hmm. and, with that, and it also, and you know, um, we need it to be generational, right? So please yeah, bring absolutely. your family and friends to these correct, events correct. and let them see what we do. Because when people see your passion for something, 
they see they get the passion it, it's infectious it absolutely is mm -hmm. and when you have a passion for something someone will feed off of your passion and getting more people involved with this just makes us better for our industry and the events i mean my events went from when i first started i had five or six entries um my last event i was down a little bit and we had 50 entries so that's pretty good yeah so my average events in the 55 58 entries right now uh, for a yeah. 1x so you know please bring these people along share with people uh dom what do you yep. got to promote sir well with uh with that said i'm not re i don't really sell anything i don't really i i just love going to shows but with that uh just to add to the you know what ray was saying support those dealers who are supporting the competitions that we love. Yeah, I guess, I mean, like Don says, I mean, the money has to come from somewhere. If, if a shop is hosting the event, they have overhead costs of doing it. The, the trophies, the judges, the, the event space, the, the staff to run the, the event, uh, they're not working on, on, you know, jobs that are coming through the door and stuff like that. They're focusing on, on the competitors and, and making sure that you guys have a good time and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, if, if, if anything that we can take away from what Don says is that, you know, try maybe spend $50 extra on something from the store rather than ordering it online, because those guys that are doing all their stuff online, they're not giving back to the community. They're not hosting an event for you. They're not, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, sure you save $50, but if that's make it or break it over a period of time for a particular store, that's always going to go away. You're not going to have anywhere to go have your events. Yeah. And like, like with, you know, I try to give Ray as much money as I can afford, <laughs> but you know, I don't get all my stuff from one location uh, for myself, but anyone that I do get from, they support competitions. They support the industry that, that we compete in and we, we love to compete in. Uh, DB Drag, Ayaska, whatever it may be, I support those people. Yeah. And uh, uh, recently, I just started Team DB, and that one's a really small team. But it, those are the vehicles that I personally uh, helped with, touched, you know, worked with them. And uh, we're gonna try to get our 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 whole mandate with this team is not just to say okay if you're if you live somewhere where i you know and you want to say you're in florida and you want to be part of the team that's not the team we are we're we're a local team where we basically are going to get together we're going to try to bring one person in every year and have them a permanent competitor so that's for me that's my personal goal so it, and it's basically a team that I'm going to slowly grow over the years. We have roughly seven members, but uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a, over the next few years, it's going to be a very impressive seven members. Well, I am very sorry that we ran so long. We went an hour and a half this time. Normally, I only go right at an hour. But oh, yeah. I think the information was great that we were sharing. Um, and honestly, I, I think it needed the time to fit in with what we were doing. Um, 
Next week on Monday, uh, back here again, we are going to have Marissa O'Brien. Some of you guys may have known her as Marissa Copeland. If you guys watched uh, Lucky's show, she was the one who got engaged at the same time as Gary Killian to uh, Thomas O'Brien. They live yeah. up in Wyoming, out in the middle of nowhere. Something rock, Little Rock or Prairie Rock, I, I don't know, some rock out in Wyoming. And uh, so anyway, so they live up in Wyoming. Uh, she is, I believe, the most downloaded hair trick person, uh, lady. Uh, they even made some commercials and she was getting, you know, she was getting things saying, hey, uh, you know. Hair trick? Oh, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that base girls? That's base uh, girls thing, but uh, Marissa's uh, well known for it. She was out at Slamology and, uh, oh, there you go. And she was also at... Um, Autorama and some of the big events and she was I mean, she's just well known. She had a car and then we're also going to have uh, Aaron Schlid. Is that how you say her last name? Uh, Something like that. Will's I'm not Will's good with pronunciation. Yeah. Oh, Shield. Shield. There you go. So we're going to have Aaron and Marissa on here next week. Um, just talk about how what the you know, how they enjoy the industry and what it's done for them and where they're at with it. So uh, once again, I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you if you stuck around for the whole thing. Remember, you can download this uh, uh, podcast on iTunes and iHeartRadio. Uh, if you do, or also on Facebook and YouTube, please smash the like button on this as, as often as you can. Once you smash the like button, share it with as many friends as you can. Let's try and grow this. I want everybody to see our passion like i said we want to share the passion with everybody so um if please tune in next week we're growing we're getting more people on here we're getting better information we're getting more we're going to try to stay a little more technical but it's all about learning and um like i said you guys thank you for tuning in again thank you to my guest don hebig and ray Choi for being part of this and we are out. See you next week. Whoa, whoa.